This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast with your host, Rob Snow White. Thank you for downloading the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. This is Series 1, Episode 26, All About Waders. This is a podcast by request from Craig Cole of the Outdoor Podcast. You can find him on iTunes or Google Outdoor Podcast. He's on Twitter and Facebook as well. So let's talk about waders. In this podcast, I'm going to talk about the two types of waders, the history of waders, waiter protection, the features on them, how to purchase waiters, and extra miscellaneous information that you might need to know based on what I've learned from fishing in waiters for about the last 15 years and also working in several fly shops in different parts of the country. Customers in different parts of the country needed waiters for different situations. Um, When I worked in the Keys, we're not selling waiters down there because it's kind of warm. You're going to be wet wading on a boat. But Colorado, West Virginia, and Northern Virginia, you do need waders. So let's dive into this and let's talk about waders. Two terms that you should be familiar with from my previous podcasts, I hope I mentioned them, is permeable and non-permeable. Non-permeable can also be interchanged with impermeable. Permeable is in reference to a membrane that is bi or unidirectional objects can go through it or can only go one way so your skin is for better uh, instances impermeable sweat can go out of it but things cannot go into it Um, a leaf is the same way water can go out of a leaf but water can't get into a leaf Leaves and our skin both have a cuticle. Ours is made of um, skin cells. Plants is made out of uh, a waxy cuticle. Something that is also permeable, think of a towel. Water can be absorbed into it. Um, The basic level of membranes would be down to actually your single cells. Um, You have what's called a phospholipid bilayer, which is made out of uh, 
of fats in a basically a circle and proteins and, and other objects can go in and out of that um, but not everything can go into that cell so that would make it um, unidirectional if it's bidirectional things can go in and out if it's unidirectional things can only go out or only go in non-permeable um, means things can't go in at all like a ziploc bag is impermeable or uh, your beer cans are impermeable water does not pass through them Fluid does not go through them. It's a solid barrier. Um, if you were to look up microscopically, there would be like a lattice work that's so tight that microscopic objects cannot, cannot go through. Um, permeable, that lattice work would have gaps in it where things can go through. Think of that kid's toy, um, triangles in a triangle hole, peg in a peg hole, square in a square hole. Um, triangular objects can go through the triangular shape. Uh, gaps in the lattice work or the circular ones can go through the circular holes in the lattice work. So that's a, a membrane. Waders are um, the inside is permeable, the outside is impermeable. So water cannot get in from the outside, be it rain, snow, or you standing in a ditch um, full of water, you are crossing through mud, you are wading a stream, or if somebody spills a beer on you. Water's not going to go in. You can sit on the ground in waders, stand in them, waist deep. Water's not coming in. However, water can go out of them, that water being the sweat that you produce. And, of course, if you listen to the podcast I did on cellular respiration, you will remember that the body produces water as a metabolic byproduct from oxygen and food. And that sweat um, can go out of certain types of waders, and I'll get to those in a moment, um, that's the basis of this podcast is putting a impermeable membrane over your body to allow you to go into the water where you would not normally be able to go. So the two types of waders um, are going to be breathable and neoprene. So I guess neoprene could then be classified as unbreathable. Breathable allows water vapor to pass through it. Neoprene does not. Breathable are of a Gore-Tex type material. Gore-Tex is a brand name, so every company has their own generic version of a permeable membrane that is unidirectional. Patagonia, Reddington, Orvis, um, Hodgman, uh, Bass Pro Shops, Cabela's, Dan Bailey's. All these companies, um, if they're not using the Gore-Tex brand like Sims, then they are going to have their generic that they have developed that has the similar properties. Neoprene is a stretchable synthetic rubber. Um, it's less expensive because of the material it's made out of, and it is rated by, um, I guess, millimeters. It's the same thing as a wetsuit, so one millimeter, two millimeter, three millimeter. And that synthetic rubber gives it its uh, insulating properties. And water cannot go in, water cannot go out. So if you sweat inside of your neoprenes, it's going to soak into your clothes. And if you cool off, that is going to bring your body temperature down. So let's talk about the history of waders. I'm going to say that waders were invented by Stonewall Jackson, the dude from the Civil War who lost his arm. What am I talking about? Well, from history class, the first time um, we got into talking about Stonewall Jackson we were told that he had the first vulcanized rubber rain jacket. His trench coat was actually made of some sort of rubber that allowed him to be waterproof. And rubber comes from a type of tree in the Amazon, Amazon rainforest. I almost said Amazonian. So Amazonian or Amazon rainforest. And when you cut the trees, a white liquid comes out and that is rubber. Rubber was eventually synthesized, which is what we have today for tires and neoprene waders. But back in the day, it came out of trees from South America. And as an anecdote, um, you've all seen on, on jungle shows where they'll cut a, a jungle branch or vine and water pours out. Well, our guides did that when we were in the Amazon in high school. And I decided, hey, I could do that with my pocket knife. So I took out my knife and I cut one of the nearby um, vines to where we had just been drinking out of and this one just happened to be a rubber vine so i had white latex rubber come out and it got all over my clothes and it never came out yeah. so natural rubber you, know, you can still find it down there but of course being a natural 
uh, product, it's going to be more expensive. So if you can synthesize it, it'll be cheaper. So waiter started with Stonewall Jackson. Um, that's the history of rubber. First, um, you know, waders became legging materials that you would step into with boots on them to allow people to step in environments where they didn't want to get wet. Um, I have a history of fly fishing book, and I've got black and white color pictures dating back to the, I don't know, 50s and 60s of guys wearing, uh, you know, like Red Ball brand rubber waders in Western streams. And that's, uh, you know, about where they started. Then neoprene came from that uh, synthetic rubber, and those were about on the market till the uh, mid-80s is when you started seeing breathable. And then by the late 90s, breathables had pretty much taken over the market. And uh, they are the dominant form of waders that you are going to see right now on the market, mainly for fly fishermen. The next topic is going to be protection. What are these waders actually doing for you? Um, We'll break it down into six or seven bullet points. First, um, waders are protecting you from water. If you were standing in water all day, we know that body heat always, always, always goes from higher concentration to lower concentration. So if you're standing in cold water, your body heat's going to get sucked out of you. So waders protect you from that cold water. Um, That way you can stand in colder water and uh, spring creeks, uh, trout streams, you know, 55 and 45 degree Fahrenheit. Um, if you're winter fishing, if you're standing in the ocean, I'm going out to LA in a couple weeks. So hopefully I'll be able to bring some waders and do some surf fishing there. I'm also going up to New York in a couple weeks, do some salmon and steelhead fishing, cold water, something that you can't stand in for too long and you'll get exposure. You can get hypothermia. It's dangerous. So waders solve that issue of allowing people to go into colder waters where they normally couldn't go. We're not like seals. We don't have that thick layer of blubber. Some people do, but not all of us. We can't stand in that water all day. It'll, um, it can kill you, literally. Uh, next thing that waders protect us from is pollution. If you've been following some of the reports of the Potomac from Hurricane Irene, and now we've got Tropical Storm Lee, fecal matter gets in the water. Um, Trent from Orvis and Bethesda will not go in the Potomac any point without wearing waders. Even if it's 100 degrees out, he's going to wear waders. Because he doesn't want the fecal material, all the the hormones in the water, and not just Trent, other people. Um, you know, every time you take pharmaceuticals and you urinate, they get passed through your urine or feces to a wastewater treatment facility where they're most likely not being taken out of the water, and then they just go back into our drinking water. So that's uh, antidepressants, birth control, uh, all sorts of hormone. Um, endocrine interrupting things uh you know that's why the male bass in the potomac have ovaries and we caught a smallmouth bass with its tongue bone on the outside of its body this summer so there are things in the water that you might not necessarily actually want to come into contact with so waders protect you from that waders also protect you from snow when tom and i go fishing in colorado in the winter it's pretty damn cold out and we might be walking along a stream but we're going to wear them just for that extra layer of protection, that barrier against the environment. There's also ice blowing. When we fish the Colorado River in January, it's usually about 10 degrees and there's howling winds and there's pieces of ice and snow that get kicked up into that wind. So that's an extra layer or barrier of protection from us. I can go out and fish warm water discharges in Northern Virginia in the wintertime, and it might not be snowing, it might not be raining, but it might just be cold out, and I'm going to wear a pair of waders just to protect me from the environment. You'll get guys out there in those Dickies coveralls, um, but that's just kind of thick and hard to move. I can just slide a pair of waders on over my clothes and walk the shoreline and know that I'm protected from the elements. So that I also mentioned wind. And last but not least, the things you want to protect yourself from are... Um, Things that might harm you, uh, insects, mosquitoes. You know, if you're wearing waders, mosquitoes should not be able to puncture through that and get to you. Plants that have uh, noxious chemicals, such as stinging nettles or poison ivy or poison oak. And there's also thorns. Um, If you're walking along the stream in the summertime, there's probably going to be 
stingy nettles, poison ivy, uh, maybe some little bristly cacti, things that you really don't want to have touch up against your skin. So waders will protect you against that. I guess bee stings too, um, spider bites, snakes can probably bite through your waders. Um, Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com That's what waders do. They provide that barrier against things that are out of the environment that you don't want to come in direct contact with. So let's talk about features now. What makes one wader different from the other? And this is going to include price. When I worked at Orvis, I was scared to death the first uh, you know fall season there. People coming in and wanting to spend $300 or $120 on waders. And I wanted to sell them the right product. And there were so many variables with the waders we sold and the variables with where these people were going and what they were using them for. I'll get into purchasing waders later. But these are the bells and whistles that account for waders and the price tag that you see with them. I came up with what I call the turkey sandwich analogy for when I sold waders. Uh, a basic turkey sandwich is your low-end waders. It's a turkey sandwich on a plate. Your mid-end waders are going to be mid-priced. That's going to be like a turkey sandwich and a pickle and maybe a little itty-bitty cup of coleslaw on the side. Your high-end waders are going to be a turkey sandwich probably with like a slice of bacon in there. It's going to be you know, cut into triangles with a toothpick through it. You're going to have a whole huge pickle spear. You're going to have a side of coleslaw. You're going to get a bag of chips. You're probably going to get a nice cold beer with that. So as you go up from basic to higher end, there's more accoutrements to it, and that account for the price. So let's start off. Um, these might actually be in alphabetical order. Uh, belts, waiter belts. Um, are these going to be attached to the waiters through belt loops, or is this just going to wrap around you? What that waiter belt does is it keeps the draft out. It prevents the waders from being big and bellowy around your waist. And in case you do fall in, it's going to keep water from filling up your waders. Belts can be um, snap kind that clip together. There's so many different attachments. They can be made out of a stretch material. They can be made out of webbing. Um, the fancier that belt is going to be and the more ergonomic its attachment to the wader, the more that wader is going to cost. Boot foot versus stocking foot. Boot foot means there's an actual wading boot attached to the wader. It is one entity. So you slide into the waders and you put your boots, you put your feet into the boots. They're attached. Things that I don't like about boot foot waders is lack of ankle support. And let's say you got, I don't know, felt soles and you want to go to Maryland. Maryland does not allow felt soles in their waters, so you can't wear those waders there. You're stuck with that one pair that you may have paid $350 for because there's an added price of the combination boot and waders together. Stocking foot means there's a neoprene booty attached to the wader at the ankle, and you slide your foot into that, and that allows you to buy any type of boot you want. Uh, we'll get into the types later, but it can be high-end or low-end depending on your budget. So that can vary how much you want to spend on a pair of wading boots. The other thing is um, the shape of that booty. Is it going to be molded to be ergonomic and, and foot-shaped, or is it just going to be like a hollow banana-shaped tube that you slide your foot into? That's going to cost more money. What about the liner of it? Patagonia has come out with a waffled wool liner. So when your foot is inside neoprene, it's an impermeable membrane. Your foot is going to sweat. And if you got wool, that's going to absorb some of the water and take that off of your boot, which can keep you from getting blisters or getting cold and clammy feet, etc. And we had a client, not our Orvis store, I think it was Chicago. Two, two uh, analogies. 
One guy came in and wanted a refund because the word Orvis was upside down on the waiter belt that was already attached to his pro guide waiters. And he wanted new waiters because the belt was upside down. Apparently they explained to him, we can just, um, you know, turn it around. And he said, no, these are faulty. And then there's also a customer. I don't know if this was Jackson hole or Chicago that wanted a refund because water got between the neoprene booty, the stocking foot and the boots. So when you pull those on and lace them up, you're stepping in water. These boots are made to get wet. They are non-rotting nylon and leather or synthetic leathers. Water gets between the actual boot and the neoprene, but this guy felt that was faulty in some way. He didn't understand, yes, when you step in, water rushes in through the lace holes and over the tongue and ankle and fills up. Um, So if you have drain holes in your boots, that'll let some of the water out, but he didn't like that. When you try on your waders at the store um, and you first put those neoprenes into the neoprene booty into your um, wading boot, it's going to be scrunched up. It's going to take a couple steps for that neoprene to actually work its way and fill that boot properly. So this is the basis that I'm actually um, selling you here a breathable wader. I'm not really selling you neoprene. Um, there's a time for that in a place. But I'm specifically talking about uh, breathables here if I didn't make that clear. Gravel guards are another bell and whistle. Um, Basic waders don't come with them. It's a neoprene cuff that you can wrap around your ankle to keep grit from getting inside the top of your boot between the booty and the boots. Seashells, clamshells, sand, um, gravel, plant material, anything that's going to rush in. More expensive ones are going to have a cuff that folds over the top of the boot and covers three quarters of your boot. Um, it's uh, like a gator and it keeps things from getting inside. At the end of that gravel guard, you may have a little latch that may cost extra. I don't know. It's a little latch that you put over the shoelaces and it keeps the gravel guard from sliding back. My issue always was that that thing would come off and fly line would inadvertently get caught in that little metal. It looks like a bent spoon. And it would just be a pain in the butt, and I would usually just smash it down with pliers or just cut it off with a pair of pliers. Are you going to want pockets inside and outside your waders? Outside pockets, that's going to cost more. Do you want hand warmer pockets, something nice and fleecy lined? Do you want zipper pockets? Do you want dry pouches where you can put keys or your fishing license or your cigarettes? For me, it's got to be sunflower seeds. When I have that chest pocket... I put my hands in there when I'm resting them, and I keep my sunflower seeds in there. Ranch David's sunflower seeds. I always eat those when I'm fishing. If you read that on the blog, you know I can go through a bag you know, in two days while I'm fishing. Pockets on the inside are going to be for um, the little Kleenex pack. Always keep one of those inside your waders because when it's cold, your nose is going to run. Also, you never know when you're going to have to move your bowels in the woods. So... Um, that little tissue pack could come in handy. You could keep your chapstick, your phone, your wallet, your camera in there. Um, sometimes if you're going to pay more for a pair of waders, it'll come with a patch kit. What else? Uh, zippers. That's a new thing relatively. You're going to pay more money for a pair of waders that zip straight down and allow you to urinate while you're on the stream. Um, it's going to be a waterproof zipper or it's going to be some kind of taped zipper that will prevent water from coming in that's really new to the market and that's going to cost you extra money let's talk about puncturability Uh, the more expensive your waders are the less puncturing let me backtrack the more puncture resistant they're going to be the more expensive so um, think of like one layer gore-tex versus two layer versus three layer versus four layer the thicker the membrane which means more material built into it the higher the cost But if you're someone that's going to wear your waders a lot, your guide, you're going to be out there 180 days a year, you need something that's going to stand up to climbing in and out of a boat, climbing down the stream banks, wearing them sunrise to sunset like Joe does in New York for like half the year when he's guiding for uh, steelhead over the winter and salmon in the fall and trout on the Delaware. They're going to be reinforced in the butt and knees, hopefully, the actual pressure points where your waders are going to be used more. Now, some waders have actual knee pads built into them so you can kneel down and fish on your knees for brook trout. Or if you're clumsy like me and you might fall, 
it kind of helps to have something there on your knee to protect you from landing on rock. My original pair of Orvis Pro Guides had this kind of like, it was a jelly, kind of like a Dr. Scholl's shoe insert that was inside the knees. And it had the greatest comfort when I could be on my knee just kind of throwing a fly for a brook trout in the mountains. So I've talked about durability, boot foot, stocking foot, gravel guards, pockets inside out, stocking foot, um, stitching is going to be another thing. How well are they stitched? Stitching is going to make your waders last longer. So if there's um, very, you know, double layered stitching, very high um, puncture resistant, tear resistant stitching material, your waders are going to last longer. That's going to cost you more. Orvis has the sonic seam welding down. It's their proprietary material and they sell that to other companies. So they're actually taking two layers of fabric and using a high frequency, um, is it radio, wavelength, and that is actually bonding or melting these two layers together, which prevents stitching. Stitching is a point of, um, what is the term, uh, wear and tear, basically. If they're stitching, it'll eventually come apart. The knees, uh, behind the knees, around the gravel guard area where the neoprene booty is attached, those areas are more prone to wear and tear because there's articulations and they get bent more. If you have a sonic welded seam, there's no stitching to ever come undone. So those high um, wear and tear spots are going to be more protected. That's going to cost you more. In the future, I think everything's going to have that. I first saw that on the market with a Patagonia jacket in 2005. And it also makes the fabric lighter because you don't have that double layered over section that's sewn together. So your actual weight is less. So if you're a backpacker, you want something like this to keep on you because you're going to substantially reduce weight by reducing extra material built in. Straps. Are you having um, straps that crisscross in the back? Are they just going to go over like suspenders? Uh, what's the strap material made out of? Is it going to have a neoprene um, sort of top to it where it's going to go over your shoulders and provide comfort? Do they clip on? Do they permanently attach? Can you unattach them and roll your waders down and clip them across your waist to make waist-high waders? The more bells and whistles involved in those waders, the more it's going to cost you. I've been wearing ProGuide waders for about 12 years now from Orbis, and my biggest issue with them is the way the straps attach. They don't clip on with a male and female clip. It's a clip that goes over the top of the Orvis. There's a tab of the Orvis waiter, and you bend a piece down, and it latches on. Um, that can come undone very easily. If I'm fishing and I notice a draft on my back, it usually means that the strap on the back has come undone. So what I end up doing is duct taping it down on the back one. The front side, um, they've actually popped off and hit me in the face. Um, a couple years ago at a DC United tailgate, a kid broke my front tooth with a rock. He threw it at me from like point blank range. It was sort of like Jim Carrey, um, dumb and dumber. So I've got like a fake tooth right here on the bottom of my front incisor. And the last thing I want is that hard plastic snapping up and undoing that like $200 piece of fake tooth I got right here. So um, it's not fun. That thing could come up and pop your sunglasses. It can get you in the eye. So um, Tom, if you're listening to this at Orvis, uh, maybe you guys could get a male, female like you have on like the silver labels um, or uh, just another another method where they're going to attach because that often comes undone for me. And those waiter straps will also fall off and I'll get to the stream and they fell off in my car somewhere or they're in my gear closet. They're not in the man cave anymore because my wife kicked me out of there to make the baby's room. I'm actually in the, the sun nook right now uh, looking over the golf course. And I don't golf, so it does me no good to look out and see people golfing. So straps. More bells and whistles. The fancier they are, the more ergonomic, the more comfortable, the more your waders are going to cost. And last but not least, let's talk about waiter farts. You heard me correctly. When you pass gas in your waders and you've got a belt on, that gas is going to be trapped from your ankles to your waist. When you kneel down or bend down, you're going to get a surge of air that is going to pop up from your waders to your face. 
it's going to smell and it's going to hit you right in the nose and your eyes are going to turn green and they're going to look like X's, like Mr. Yuck. Um, I still remember the first time my roommate Gary farted in his waders. He, uh, it was a real treat for him. And I've mentioned this before that when you're on you know, road trips, trout fishing and um, going for steelhead salmon, if you're uh, wherever you're fishing and you're wearing waders, you're not eating the best food. We always eat sheets or Wawa. It's a tradition. Um, I'll eat Chef Boyardee straight out of the can. I eat a lot of beef jerky. Dehydrated foods, food that you cook on a stove with boiling water. Or um, if we're with Joe, you know, we're going to end up at Ponderosa up in Pulaski. Tom and I could do a whole podcast on the places we eat. You've got the Burger Barn in Kremlin. You've got uh, Dorothy's Homemade Tamales. And, of course, i got my favorites in Breckenridge. Um, you're not eating the best food. And you're going to be feeding that bacteria inside your digestive tracts which then are going to release gas. Because remember, it's not your gas. It's the bacteria inside of you. It's your gut flora. 7 to 10 pounds of your body weight alone is just that bacteria inside your colon. That releases gas because you're feeding them nasty things. And then that comes up. Um, your waiters are going to stink. So you might want to uh, definitely let them air out or drop a little air freshener in there or um, eat a couple pieces of parsley when you go to Denny's on that little um, side of your plate, the garnish, because um, it'll help you. Take charcoal. Did I mention this in the last time I talked about waiter farts? Activated charcoal, you can get it over the counter. It's um, activated charcoal, which absorbs the toxins and stink inside you. Your gas will actually smell, which is sorry, your gut flora's gas will actually smell like a zephyr, like a spring breeze blowing through the flowers because that stink gets absorbed. Um, I wish my gastroenterologist had told me that after years of um, being kicked out of the bedroom for having gas. But, um, Look for activated charcoal pills. Bear Grylls will just, you know, eat charcoal from his fireplace. But these are like little capsules. And um, if you're drinking, take them. If you're eating Taco Bell, eat them. If you're on the road, eat them. It's going to make your road trip much better, especially when Tom has to roll down the windows when it's snowing because he just busted ass. So that sort of rounds up the features, bells and whistles, the features you're going to find on waders that make him from bear just a pair of breathable things you slide onto your body to something that's super comfortable that allows you to urinate and keep your cell phone on you and for you to be comfortable all day if you fish once a year twice a year you don't need the high-end waders you can get away with the basic just put them on clip a belt around you but i'll get into that when i talk about purchasing well purchasing is next okay so bells and whistles um you're paying for accoutrements so if you fish two, three times a year, don't go out and spend $500 on a pair of, of waders. Um, if I was a fly shop owner, I would say, heck yeah, come to my fly shop, buy expensive waders that you're going to wear once or twice a year. But you don't need that if you're not going to be fishing all that often. Buy them for the features that you need. Um, as Craig mentioned on his recent podcast about hiding gear from your wife, um, you know, money can be an issue with spouses. If you got disposable income, heck, buy the most... Um, expensive waders you can find. If you're budget conscious and you're not fishing that often, just get a pair of you know basic waders. They will do you fine. Uh, neoprene. If you're going out somewhere cold, they're going to do you just fine for the purpose. Uh, most neoprenes are going to be boot foot. You get in with stocking foot. I actually owned a pair of Orvis stocking foots. That I probably had for seven or eight years that I never actually took out of the plastic bag. And I just ended up selling them on eBay. Um, I picked them up after college because um, I couldn't afford breathables. And then I got a pair of breathables um, when I started working to Orvis with a discount. And I had no use for them. I never felt that I needed to put them on because I could layer up properly beneath my breathables. And the neoprenes were just obsolete. So um, I got rid of them. You look funny. Tom always said he looked like a Vienna sausage when he wore his neoprenes. So if you're going to be using them a lot, get higher-end ones, something that's going to be more puncture-resistant, more ergonomic, um, things attached to it, so you don't have to worry about losing your belt, don't have to worry about losing your gravel guards, don't have to worry about losing your shoulder straps. Let's talk about boots. So if you're buying uh, boot foot, you can get rubber lug soles. Uh, you probably get rubber lug with studs, or you can get felt soles. Um, 
your options are limited when you're buying boot foot. I would suggest boot foot for fishing at the beach in saltwater and sand because you don't have to deal with all that sand getting between your boots. Also, if you're fishing in below freezing temperatures um, at night, if you're camping um, and it's going to freeze out, putting on frozen boot foot is much easier than frozen stocking foot. When you take your wading boots off at night, they're going to collapse and freeze solid, and it takes about an hour under the um, dashboard of your car with the heat blasting and defrosting just enough to put them on. So that is, uh, I've learned from experience that if it's going to be below freezing, um, unless you can get your boots somewhere warm at night, you need to get boot foot. Let's talk about the actual soles of your shoes. Um, Felt versus rubber. Felt, everyone says that's the greatest for traction. Um, I've fallen more times in felt. I have um, probably long-term damage to my left knee from that. I fell down... um, a flight of steps in Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, I slipped on the wet um, tree stumps it was made out of. And a week before, I had fallen on our friend's property on the Yampa and um, twisted my knee pretty bad. I guess if you remember that scene with Jim Carrey, another Dumb and Dumb and reference, goes running through that train or airplane terminal and he comes out and, and falls on the air mac, tarmac and he's kind of sprawled out. That's what I looked like when my wife found me at the bottom of those stairs in RMNP. So I was never a fan of felt. I got rid of those in about 2003 when I started wearing sticky rubber. Uh, sticky rubber versus felt, I find has more traction. Of course, if you listen to news about invasive species, rubber is less likely to transport invasive species. Rubber has lots of nooks and crannies and takes a long time to dry. So any microorganism that gets in there can stay wet between... Um, stream bodies and you can transport them and and, and, uh, introduce them to another stream. Um, Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. I've, since I found Bootfoot, I've just been more comfortable. Um, stocking foot also in, I'm sorry, rubber versus um, felt. Felt in the wintertime is going to freeze and snow is going to cake to it. And it's like walking on uh, pimp boots. You're going to be like eight inches high on one shoe and like six inches on the other. Um, if ice forms on them, you can't crack it off. Tom and I once used an ice axe on the little Juniata that Christmas time we went fishing in 2000 um, because we were both wearing felt and it just kept caking on. We had about two inches of ice on the bottom of our shoes and it was just too dangerous to fish. Um, it was five degrees out, so we kind of bailed that trip anyway. Um, but it, it was just, it was very dangerous wearing felt soles in the winter. The added addition, I guess that's, redundant the addition of studs is that it will grind and have give you more texture to rocks i prefer um i've been wearing the sims boot foot um, rubber studs for about eight years now and i can say that i trust my life to them however my boat i do not allow studs in them so what do you do if you've got studded boots and you've got to go somewhere where you can't wear studs Uh, linoleum gas station floors or a boat with wood or metal that you don't want to scrape up. You get Corkers. Corkers is a brand that have interchangeable soles. And you can go from sticky rubber to sticky rubber with studs to felt to spikes interchangeably, very inexpensively. It's like having several pairs of boots together. So I'm retiring my Sims next week. They've pretty much fallen apart. Um, I'll keep them for spares. If something happens to my Corkers, but I'm going with the Corkers Chromes. They got the 2011 International Fly Tackle Dealer Show Award for you know best boot. Um, the website's Corkers, and it's a phenomenal product. And I will talk about their other benefit in a moment. Um, the third option for it's not really for boot foot and stocking foot waders. It's going to be a product from Patagonia. If you listen to the listen to the Fish Stick podcast. Um, They've been talking about a product. It's a crampon from 
Patagonia made of aluminum. It's very soft metal, and apparently it's giving people incredible traction on stream beds. It's making people that were nervous to walk through waters sort of hop, skip, and jump, giving them confidence, and that's something I'm absolutely going to look into. Um, speaking of crampons, there's also uh, products, corkers that you can put over your shoes, which are kind of cumbersome, but it's going to be like metal spikes or cleats or chains that you clamp over your shoes to give you added traction. So those are things that you get with stock and foot waders with the boots you buy separately. You can buy the basic boots, you know, 60, 70 bucks, or you can buy a higher end product uh, that's going to have more bells and whistles. The lacing system of most waders is going to be rope, uh, oh, sorry, wader boots. Um, rope freezes in the winter, so if you're not fishing in the winter, don't worry about this. Corkers came out with boa laces. I forget what it means, but it's... Um, it's a ratchet system that you crank and has a wire that tightens. And then you hit a button and they undo. Um, phenomenal product. It's going to make my life much easier. You don't have to worry about um, your shoelaces coming undone or freezing. Plus, I mentioned when you first put your waders on and slide your neoprene stocking foot into your boot, it's going to be very tight. And then once you get in the water, things kind of loosen up. you got to tie your shoelaces again. So it's just one thing to avoid. Plus, when I'm wearing a lot of layers, layers, it's really hard for me to bend down and get to my actual boots. So I'm looking forward to those. Um, maybe I'll give a podcast product review on those. You have to add one extra size for winter because you need to add that extra layer of um, space for your toes to wiggle around and let the blood circulate and form a pocket of warm air inside your waders. Joe, like I said in a previous podcast, wears a size 14 in the winter. He's probably 11 normally. So Boots are going to account for um, your foot size if it's a boot foot. You know, a size 10 will be a size 10. If you're buying neoprene, you'll get like size small, medium, or large. And it'll say like small is foot 7 to 9, medium is 10 to 11, large is 12 to 13. From there, you would assume that the boots are made the same size. They're made to account for that extra, you know, three-quarter inch neoprene that slides over your foot that you put inside the boot. So I hope that makes sense. You're putting your foot with socks on inside a stocking foot, which then goes inside the boot. That boot alone with your foot would be huge because it doesn't account. Did you hear that thunder? Let's hope power doesn't get lost. Um, it's going to account for all that extra space. So I'm a size 10. I'm going to buy a size 10 boot. But if I put my foot in there barefoot, it's going to be like a size 12. They're sized larger to account for all the extra junk you're putting in there. And here comes Dr. Jones, my schnauzer, because he is scared of the thunder. You want to come on my lap? Come here. Come here. All right, maybe not. Dr. Jones is scared of thunder and lightning. Oh, hold on. All right, I now have my trusty, hairy sidekick with me, Dr. Jones. Do you have anything to say, buddy? Oh, of course, you can't talk. Okay, so hopefully he's not breathing too hard and making too much noise, but he freaks out with thunderstorms. All right, um, body size. You're going to have to count for your body size, small, medium, or large. Are you skinny like me? Are you cigar-shaped, or are you built like a pear? Uh, Black's fishing catalog um, used to have a section for waders for every shape and size, from big, round people to tall, skinny we worked with a guy at Orvis who played for Duke. He was seven foot four. Uh, he had a duck to come into our fly shop, but there were waders that fit him. Bootfoot, of course, has you know small, medium, large body size with the shoe size built in. You can get a small 10, small 11, small 12, medium 10, 11, 12. Uh, gives you more leverage with stocking foot. You can get one that fits your body size and then add on the shoe size for you. Um, Women usually have to count for their breasts and their hips, so you're going to want to look for women's uh, waders that will account for that. We used to sell men's women men's waders to women all the time, just if they're a little bit busty or a little more curvy. Um, nothing wrong with that. As long as we can get you into a pair of waders that fits and get you into the water, that's the goal. And when you try the waders on at the store, they're going to be huge. When you step in the water, the pressure of the water is going to force the air out of them, and they're not going to be so large. They're going to be super baggy in the store. Um, 
but once you're you're in the water, that bulkiness is going to go away. So just take that into account. And when you go to a fly shop to purchase them, they're going to have that basket of random socks for you to try on. And you're going to sit down on a bench, and they're going to pull waders and boots out, and you're going to try everything on and you know see which one fits you the best. But just account for the fact that they're not going to fit the same in the shop as they are in the water. Tall versus short, they make waders for that. And... Um, they also make chest waders, which go up to your chest, up towards your um, your breastbone. There's hip waders, which go up to your thighs, and then there's waist high waders, which are like pants. So there's different types now. I found that um, hip waders, uh, if you kneel down, they're going to fill it with water. Um, waist highs are great, and chest waders can always be rolled down to make hip waders if it's really hot out. Extra information. Let's wrap this up. So I can get Dr. Jones off my lap. Um, falling in and filling up. Everyone says that if you fall in and fill up your waders, then you're going to sink like a stone is the quote they use. Well, if you filled up a Ziploc bag and threw it in the water, it's not going to sink. Um, your body has your thoracic cavity is full of air. You're not going to sink if your waders fill up. It's happened to me before. I flipped my canoe, kayak, and I filled up my waders. You're neutrally buoyant when you're in the water. You just have to get yourself to shore and drain them. Once you're on land, that weighs you down. Water weighs 8.33 pounds per gallon. So if you fill up your waders with three, four gallons of water, it's extremely heavy on land. But if you're in the water, you are neutrally buoyant. It's like sharks. You take them out of water, they're heavy. You put them in water, they're weightless. Filling up your waders does not mean you're going to sink. Maybe if you've got a whole bunch of crap in your pockets that are weighing you down, you'll sink, but you don't sink like a rock. You know, snorkelers wear dive belts of lead to make them go down because normally your body wants to float. You're full of fat. Fat is out of pose. It's buoyant. That's why it floats to the top of your chicken soup. And um, you've got air inside your chest, which is going to make you float also. If you keep that waiter belt on, it'll prevent your entire waiters from filling up with water. So let's say you do fill them up with water. What do you do? Well, you get to shore and you flip them over and drain them. You can um, kind of go on your stomach and put your feet up on a rock and have your legs elevated so they'll drain slowly. When you get home, make sure they are open to air out. Stuff the feet or the boot foot, neoprene, etc., with newspaper and rotate that out every couple of hours. That's going to absorb the water and get rid of them. I'm sure um, you could fill them with rice or something or like silica desiccants. Um, but usually just somewhere where there's moving air and absorbent materials inside of them will get them dry fairly fast. You do not want mildew to build up in there and you do not want them to start rotting. How do you store them? Well, first of all, don't store your waders in sunlight. Um, UV will eventually degrade the material and prevent them from protecting you from the elements. Keep them rolled up in the sack they're in. Keep them in a cool, dark place. I have a big box from Home Depot. That's the waiter box. I keep my waiters and boots in there and extra belts, shoulder straps, and duct tape. Things I need for wet waiting and waiting with my waiters. Um, anything I might need to get wet is in there all year. I take it out, dry it, and what are you growling at, Dr. Jones? That's where I keep my waiters in. Keep that in the storage closet when I'm not using them. If you can hear Dr. Jones, I don't know why he's growling. Maintenance. So keep them rolled up. You want to scrub them to keep the membrane clean. Soapy water and a bristly brush. That'll keep any kind of mud and microscopic particles that have gotten inside those little membranes where the water is going to be transferred from your body to your clothes to the inside membrane to the outside membrane. That all goes back to the Larian podcast. If you want to read more, um, go find that on the blog. There's details there. Scrub them. Keep them clean. Patching, if you got holes, my boot foot have a hole in them right now. How did I find out? Well, I was standing chest deep in water, and I got out, and my pants were all wet. Um, it was only one side, so I knew it wasn't sweat. If you think you have a hole, there are a couple methods. Um, you can put a flashlight on the inside or outside in a dark room, and where the light comes through that's very bright, you have a hole. You can put rubbing alcohol on them, on them, and it'll turn a dark gray on the inside membrane where there's a hole as the oxygen reacts to the air coming through. Or you can roll them up airtight, spray them with soapy water, and squeeze them. When the air comes out, it's going to make bubbles where the soapy water is. 
Once you have that hole identified, take a bar of soap and make a circle on it. If it's on the inside, you can use a Sharpie. Take Aquaseal or UV goo and a tongue depressor or popsicle stick and give it a good schmear. And if it's Aquaseal, you're going to have to let that dry overnight. We would do this every day pretty much if a waiter came back from a client trip in Colorado or West Virginia and a client complained of holes and they're being cold and wet, then they're going to have a hole in them. Um, you got to patch it with Aqua Seal, or the UV stuff works with uh, sunlight or one of those UV lights you can get with Clear Cure Goo for tying flies. Last time I was up on the Salmon River with Chris, he stepped in and said, dude, there's a hole in my waders. And that water was like 40-something degrees. He decided to fish for two days before he just went out to Whitaker's and bought himself a brand new pair of waders. Um, that's the option if you just want to buy whole new waders. Layering underneath, uh, remember... No cotton. Cotton kills. You want to wear synthetics. Stuff that will take the sweat from your skin and transfer that as vapor from one layer to the next, like a bucket brigade, and eventually move it to the inside membrane of the waiter, which will then pass it out. So that wraps up my podcast on waiters. I've talked about the two types, um, breathable and non-breathable, the history of waiters from rubber to neoprene to breathable, protection that waders protect you from the elements. Talked about features that make them more or less expensive. Talked about how to purchase them and what to look for. Also, um, going to a store is going to be easier than buying them online because you actually sit down and try them on. And some extra information about waders. Um, hopefully, Craig, I answered any questions you had about waders. Um, if you're going to start fishing in the winter, get them. Um, you know, summer fishing, you're not going to eat them up in West Virginia. People ask me all the time uh, when I'm guiding them it, on the Potomac in the summer, well, I don't have waders. And I'm like, well, you don't need waders because it's you know 90 degrees out. The water's 94 degrees. We're wet waiting today. Um, they're an investment, so I don't have waders for all my clients in the wintertime. We're going to fish from shoreline um, during the shad run. You know, you're not even allowed to enter the Potomac where we're going to be fishing. So I tell people just a pair of cheap wellies from Walmart. Or marshals, that'll do it. You can step in ankle-deep water, um, get to the creek, step through puddles, and not have to worry about spending two, $300 on waders. So that wraps up the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, Series 1, Episode 26, produced by Jason Reef. And I thank you for downloading. If you want to learn more, please visit my website at www.robsnowwhite.com. And remember, there's only one W in Snow White. Thanks for downloading. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, visit www.robsnowwhite.com. Anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. A mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.